Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, and the wall come tumbling down. You may talk about your king of Gideon, you may talk about your man of Saul. There's none like good old Joshua at the bottle of Jericho. Sing with me. Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Our podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with the scripture reading and a message. We would love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. If you are here in Berkeley, Epworth's worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 1953 Hopkins on the corner of Napa and Hopkins. Or if you connect with our podcast from further away, we would invite you to visit our website, epworthberkeley.org. We'd invite you to keep seeking to grow in faith. And to stop by the next time you're in Berkeley. I love Jericho and the walls come tumbling down. Then the lamb ran, hands begin to blow, the trumpets begin to sound. Joshua commanded the children to shout, and the walls come tumbling down. That morning, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho. Jericho, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, and the walls come tumbling down. Amen. So, when before I begin, when when I sit in worship on Sundays and listen to the scriptures being read and scripture, listen to the sermons being preached. You know, thoughts come to me, inspirations come to me, and I jot them down and sort of a nucle- nucleating point of all of those thoughts over the last few months has been the whole refugee crisis. And last Sunday, I was just sort of inspired in the afternoon, just to sit down and start writing and ended up with pages of stuff. So I emailed Kristen, I said, um, if there are any dates in October when (laughs) you need somebody to fill in, um, I can do it. So I was out walking in Tilden Park on Wednesday when my cell phone rang and it was Kristen and here I am today. It's a short week. I sort of feel like an NFL team playing on Thursday night. So I want to begin by saying that I don't claim to have the answer to the refugee crisis. Like all of you, I look out and hear the news and see what's happening on our southern border and elsewhere around the world. And it's distressing. Unlike all of you, I am appalled at the inability of our elected leaders to do much more than treat the refugee problem like a political football. And I'm not sure where the 
the source of the problem is. Um, whether Americans have forgotten their story, whether the church has forgotten its story, or maybe it's because the church is too familiar with our story to the point that we don't really hear what it says. But there's nothing new happening in the world today. Everything happening now has happened in the past. The Bible tells stories about migrants who journey to a new land in search of a better life. The Bible talks about individuals caught up in the slave trade, taken to countries against their will. The Bible tells stories of hungry people migrating to different places in search of food during times of famine. The Bible tells us about desperate people escaping political oppression and families running away from threats upon their lives and seeking asylum. These are our stories. These are the stories of the people of God. They're all in the Bible. Abraham and Sarah. They lived in the Fertile Crescent in Mesopotamia. They were part of a nomadic family, living among other nomadic families. And like everybody at that time, they were scrapping out a living for themselves as best they could. And their lives were pretty settled until Abraham hears a call. He hears God calling to him, saying, go from this place. Leave the land where your family has dwelt for generations. Your future is not here. Your future is in a land that I will show you. And in that land, I will bless you and I will make of you a mighty nation. So Abraham and Sarah answer the call, they become migrants. They set forth on a journey. They head to a place they don't know where. They're just following the directions of their divine GPS until they eventually come to Canaan. And this is the beginning of our tradition. This is the beginning of the Judeo-Christian tradition. Abraham and Sarah leave where they live They leave everything they know behind. They journey into an unknown future. And in the New Testament, in the letter to the Galatians, Paul says that this is the archetype of faith. And it was reckoned to them as righteousness. So skip ahead three generations. Abraham begat Isaac. And Isaac begat Jacob. And Jacob begat about a dozen sons and more daughters, and among his children was a son named Joseph. Joseph was his favorite son, a fact that did not endear him to his brothers. His brothers sold him into slavery to a passing caravan that was traveling to Egypt. And when the caravan arrived in Egypt, they resell Joseph to Potiphar, 
an officer in the Egyptian army, probably a prophet. And so Joseph finds himself a slave in Egypt. Think about that. Joseph, an ancestor of our faith, was literally taken to Egypt as part of the slave trade. But even though he was a slave, people began to recognize his extraordinary abilities, among which was the ability to interpret dreams. So when Pharaoh was bothered by some unsettling nightmares, he called upon Joseph to ask Joseph to tell him what his dreams meant. And Joseph said, there are going to be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. So you should stockpile grain during the seven years of plenty so that there will be food to feed the people of Egypt when the famine comes. And not only did Pharaoh accept Joseph's advice, but he put him in charge of the food project. So this, but the story goes on. The famine affected not only Egypt, but also Canaan, where his brothers were. Yes, the same brothers who sold him into slavery. The brothers were hungry. Their children were hungry. They heard that there was food in Egypt, so they set out to Egypt to beg for food. And they get an audience with the governor, who, unbeknownst to them, was their brother Joseph. And to cut to the point of the story, Jacob and his 12 sons and and their families, in other words, all of Israel, they were saved because Israel welcomed this tribe of refugees migrating for food. And they stayed in Egypt and they prospered there. And this is the part of the story that Lloyd read for us earlier. They prospered in Egypt and they contributed to the life of Egypt and its well-being for a long time until many generations passed and a new pharaoh came to power who did not remember about Joseph and did not remember everything that Joseph had done for his people. The new pharaoh was xenophobic. The new pharaoh was fearful of this large immigrant population. The new pharaoh said to his subjects, and these are the words in Exodus, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. So he began a program of, let's call it what it is, political oppression. He set taskmasters over this immigrant population. He set them to work doing the hard jobs that the people of Egypt didn't care to do. He made them slaves. He made their lives miserable. And so we come to the next chapter in the story, to Moses. Moses was a descendant of this tribe of immigrants. But ironically, Moses was also the adopted son of the Pharaoh's daughter and the adopted grandson of Pharaoh. So in other words, Moses had status in Egyptian society. 
but he threw it all away in a moment of passion. Moses saw an Egyptian taskmaster beating an Israelite slave, and he got angry, and he lashed out, and he killed the Egyptian, and he knew that he was in trouble. And so he fled to Midian, a fugitive from justice, a migrant. And there in Midian, he married a Midianite woman. He started a family. He was comfortable and safe raising his flock of sheep. Until God once again calls. God calls Moses out of this comfortable place. He says, go back to Egypt. Lead your people to freedom. And Moses went with a bit of arm twisting. The great migration lasted 40 years. It's called the Exodus. And once again, Israel became a nation of migrants. They had migrated to Egypt in search of food. They had migrated from Egypt, escaping political oppression. And they wandered in the desert for 40 years, coming eventually back to the land of Canaan. Now, here's an interesting twist of the story. Do you suppose they were welcomed back home to Canaan with open arms? Not exactly. They met resistance. They came up against walls. Remember the song that Jerry played in the prelude? Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came a-tumbling down. Walls up to keep immigrants out. You see, migration looks very different depending on where you're sitting. If you're the one migrating in search of safety or food or a better life, it looks one way. But if you're already there and you're fearful that the migration is going to result in you're losing your better life, it looks another way. Which brings me to one last refugee story in the Bible. Do you remember how the Gospel of Matthew tells the Christmas story? Do you remember King Herod? Do you remember his political oppression? Do you remember his threat to kill every Hebrew boy under the age of two? And do you remember how his father, a man named Joseph, the same name as the Joseph of many generations before, could interpret dreams? And he paid attention to that dream, and he fled from Israel, and he took his family into Egypt, seeking safety. Jesus was a political refugee because of a well-founded fear of persecution, Herod's threat upon his life. And this story is only in Matthew. And it's interesting that later on in Matthew, one of the parables that Jesus tells is also only in Matthew. So I wonder, in Matthew's narrative world, is it possible that Jesus was speaking out of his own personal experience, 
when he told the parable. I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. And in the parable, the righteous say, when did we ever see you this way? When did we ever do this for you? And Jesus says, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. Which brings me back to where I began. I don't know whether the problem is that we don't know our stories well enough or whether we're so familiar with them that we don't hear them anymore. But turning our backs on brothers and sisters who come seeking only a better life, free from hunger, free from poverty, free from the persecution of criminal gangs and criminal governments, closing our hearts to these people is not what Jesus taught. I don't know the answer to the refugee crisis, but I do know what Jesus said. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me.